0: Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar.
1: When we think about water stress, most everybody immediately just thinks about water scarcity. But what's kind of newly happening is water toxicity. 45% of U.S. American tap water is toxic. We're currently at Sky Show building the world's largest atmospheric water generating projects near Houston, the third largest city in America, because of water toxicity. Hey there, Solar
0: Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in. And welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors, to Suncast. I'm Nico, and I want to say welcome in to all of you who are discovering Suncast for the first time. I'm well aware that you're investing the only non-renewable resource you've got, and that is your time. I promise to take good care of it. Each and every week, dig inside the minds of the leaders who are pioneering our clean energy transition to extract the nuggets of wisdom for you so that you can add them to whatever it is that you're doing. Add it to your decision matrix on how to get a job or how to build your own company. So thanks for tuning in. Today's entrepreneur is someone I've known for two decades, admired and even worked with. Alexander Von Welchek was the original co-founder of Solar Power Partners, one of the OG Solar PPA providers in California. They helped me get my start back in my Blue Line Power days, my first ever solar company. And I've been able to follow along as Alexander and his team grew SPP, sold it to NRG. He moved on to do Clean Power Group and a number of other ventures before realizing, as he often says, that climate is a water problem and that there is no green without blue to understand more about what those mean and how Alexander is innovating once again, pioneering a new technology, atmospheric water generation. Alexander's going to go into the nugget of an idea that led to a transformative, disruptive technology that they're finally bringing to market. I want to thank you for joining us here. You can check out more than 650 backlogged episodes of suncast that are all evergreen they are not one time listens and they're not lost in history they are all relevant today or most of them at least and that's by intention because i believe that those who are on the front lines have something to share and that you through pattern matching can improve your own approach to saving our planet Hope that you'll do that by listening in today and to some of our other episodes. You can find them all at MySuncast.com and in the app you're listening to right now. But for now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we dig into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. I'm excited to introduce today's guest that I have known for literally my entire solar career someone that I have both admired and revered, someone who has been a pioneer in more than one sector. We'll talk a lot about that today, but Alex von Wellcheck has been quoted as saying there is no green without blue and also that the climate crisis is a water crisis. Let's dig in a little deeper. Alex,
1: welcome to Suncast at long last. I'm really excited to be here, Nico, and uh yeah, we've known each other a long time. I re- recall very fondly us first meeting back in Monterey in the 2004 time frame, where we mm-hmm. were pioneers together in the distributed solar space. So very excited to see how your career has come along and excited to tell you about what I'm doing these days.
0: Yeah, you've, you're up to some really cool stuff. For those who are unfamiliar, uh, we'll talk a bunch about sort of the journey that you've been on exploring the evolution of your career. But one stop on that journey impacted my career quite distinctly because Alex and his team at Solar Power Partners funded uh, the first PPA in Monterey County, which I originated. And that project changed the way I viewed uh, possibility, right? Like it, it opened up for me more than cash deals and more than going to Rabobank or some other local bank and asking them to please help my customer out, Um So I'm really looking forward to digging into sort of how you think about the trends that our economy and our society need to be paying more attention to, and how they're going to affect not not just one meaning ours, but future generations. And I want to do a little bit of a reverse in terms of uh, the order of things because you're working on a really complex problem right now, and I don't think that we have it really in um, in great context, principally because most of us just think about energy. And uh, as I said before, you have said to me, the climate crisis is um, about water. Uh, we've kind of got energy figured out. Could you explain at a 30,000 foot level, what is the problem that you saw uh, as, you know, when you first looked into water as an issue? And why did it capture your attention?
1: Firstly, there's no life without water. Kind of everything begins with water. Most everybody in the meantime is convinced that the world is ongoing, undergoing a, a climate crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, we're experiencing everyday climate change. Mm-hmm. And the climate crisis is really a water crisis. Climate change is, ex- expresses itself through water in forms of drought, storms, you know and, and and really disasters recently a study's been done that basically says that uh water crisis has a potential uh, economic impact of 58 trillion dollars on value on food security and on sustainability like you mentioned we've known each other for a while i mean i turned 60 this year I spent uh Around about 15 years working for a Fortune 500 companies, uh, mostly in very creative executive positions. So it's very rewarding. But in the, uh, approximately 2002 timeframe, I more or less got the environmental bug. Uh, I've always been kind of connected to nature and the environment, having grown up in a more or less a coastal area of California. What was particularly impactful for me was if you recall in the early days, Al Gore, uh, his book, An Inconvenient Truth. I think that kind of yeah. set a fire to a lot of things. And, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, I uh, co-founded my first, if you will, climate tech business in the solar space, Solar Power Partners. That went on to be a, become a big success. We did a lot, a lot of business there. You know, what I've seen and learned is really there's no shortage of energy. Yeah, it's really only a question: who can do it faster, cheaper, and greener? I mean, just for an example, you know, here in the Western United States, everybody knows, you know, there's at least one hundred, probably many, many more large-scale solar projects that would love to get built, but the the those utilities are oversubscribed or the interconnections not there. There's no shortage in California. We're easily gonna meet and beat the plan of going 100% renewables over the coming years. No problem. But where there is an absolute shortage is in water. Currently, it's estimated that there's about 3 billion people worldwide uh, living in water stress. And it's expected that that number is going to increase to about 52 billion people by 2050. So it's a super train wreck coming. And there's very, very few solutions that can actually help. Hey,
0: if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital, and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100kW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. So when you and I started in the solar industry 20 years ago, there were experiments globally around funding access for what was called the bottom of the pyramid, right? Um, famously Grameen Bank was doing a lot of effort around financing technological advancement in developing countries. And we thought a lot about energy access as a, as a poor country's problem or a poor community's problem. And. Uh, That energy access, notably, it was something like, and I remember there was a statistic that like 1.2 billion people worldwide had zero access to electricity. And to your point, we've seen that number diminish, right? We've uh, we've aggressively addressed that problem, yet water access is increasing. The delta on clean water and access to it is getting worse. Is there a name for that, uh, like that group
1: of people or that problem generally? There's a lot of different terms. I would ju- I would say in general, uh, from my experience, the water fuel industry is not as sophisticated and advanced as the energy industry. You know, for the most part, it seems as if leadership in water is left over to kind of like NGOs and uh, nonprofits and you know municipalities. You, you don't have, for the most part, you know, the big Multi billion dollar corporations with deep balance sheets who are figuring out and going after solving the problem. Right. That is changing. Uh, we hope to add to that change at Sky H2O. You know, it's also a, a problem that's kind of crept up on us. It's not, uh, you know, it, it uh, similar to the way climate change is kind of crept up on us. I mean, I know we've had 28 cops and it's been aware for a long time, but I think for the, Majority of the population that you really got to get behind making change for them, for the most part, it's crept up. And that's the same thing that's the case with water. One of the very interesting dynamics to me in water is when we think about water stress, most everybody immediately just thinks about water scarcity, you know, lack of water, which is, let's say, in most parts of Northern Africa or maybe what's in a lot of the Southwest US or parts of Latin America, et cetera. But what's kind of newly happening is, and and rapidly advancing in the developed world, the industrialized world, is water toxicity. Water toxicity was not an issue up until only a few years ago. and, And only last year, the EPA that oversees uh, municipal Water came out with a public study that says 45% of U.S. American tap water is toxic. And we can get later into a lot of detail, but we're currently at Sky Show building the world's largest atmospheric water generating projects near Houston, the third largest city in America, because of water toxicity. So when you think about water challenges and stress, don't only think about the poor, unfortunate yeah. people in Africa or South America—we have that issue right here at home in the United States as bad or worse than anywhere else. Yeah,
0: there's this category of uh, of water technology that I only became familiar with because you started telling me about it almost a decade ago, called atmospheric water generation, AWG, and at the time, I could find no companies that were really uh, building anything or talking about it at scale. Can you help help me understand what is atmospheric water generation, and why is it only now uh, reaching pilot
1: and sort of project scale? Similar to energy that you and your viewers know so well, there's a lot of different technologies in energy, right? Whether it's solar, wind, nuclear, you know, hydro, et cetera, et cetera. In water, there's also many, many different ways to uh, generate, prepare, and provide water. Of those various different ways, one of the newest and most innovative ways is what's referred to as atmospheric water generation, or AWG. AWG is different than any and all the other water technologies, which are mostly in different forms of reverse or forward osmosis, basically filtering water or also distillation, atmospheric water generation is different because our resource is the air. So all the other technologies need to have an existing body of water, like a lake, a river, an ocean, you know, to desalinate, where in our case, the resource is the air. And air is everywhere. And that makes AWG able to have kind of game-changing business models because we can now build and locate AWG facilities at or near where the water is being used and consumed. And one of the big challenges, just like in energy, is how to get that resource from where it's being generated you know, along a transmission or distribution line to where it's being used. Right. And building infrastructure like that, just like transmission or distribution lines and energy, is highly expensive, takes a long time, uh, very challenging. So as we can make water generating facilities at near where it's being needed, let's say like at a hospital, you know, at some kind of mission critical facility, that's game changing.
0: For those who are totally unfamiliar, like myself, what is the relevant uh, composition of water in the air? And you're in a typical like like Houston, which is more I would assume because it's more humid. It literally means that it has more water in the air. Uh, can you give us a, a quick you know one oh one on how that how we should think about that?
1: So atmospheric water generation, similar to solar energy or wind energy, is Uh, a renewable resource. It's renewable water. Like those are renewable energy. And the resource, the natural resource required to do well is relative humidity. There's other factors too, like temperature and elevation and so forth. But the key driver is relative humidity. Just like for solar, the key driver is insulation. The better the insulation... The more, you know, kilowatts you're going to make. Well, in the case of AWG, for the most part, the higher the relative humidity, the more water you can squeeze out of the air. Atmospheric water generation, the way it works is, um, simple to understand, hard to do. So basically what we do is we have these uh, large machines. At SkyHL, we are industrial scale. We call them the AWG Maximus. And almost like a vacuum cleaner, we suck in huge amounts of air. That air is then filtered. We've got a three-level filtration uh, setup, almost like a clean room. And what comes into the machine is uh, essentially highly filtered, purified air that then gets compressed. So like when you look up in the sky, you see an airplane flying? That's a water stripe of compressed air. And then we take uh, that compressed air and we we run it through a device that we call a coolerator. It's basically kind of like a radiator with fins and we lower the temperature of that water to the dew point, actually below the dew point. So when you, let's say, uh, you know, our Enjoying a nice cold beer and the side of the glass is all filled with water. That's coming from the outside atmosphere, the water and the air. Oh, yeah. Right. So that's mm-hmm. essentially the resource. And uh, we're basically moving a lot of tons of air, if you will, through the machine. And that then converts and the water comes out and what comes out of the machine at first level is essentially uh, purified, distilled like Water, there's nothing in it. It's highly pure. And then depending on how the water is being used, it can then be used, uh, more or less like, uh, purified water for industrial purposes. I mean, just for an example, solar companies should love this because most of these solar farms have big challenges washing and cleaning panels. And they really want to have distilled like water so they don't, so they don't, you know, spot and. Leave minerals. Uh, Leave minerals. So this uh, fuel distilled like water through AWG is very valuable to them. But in most cases, the water is most valuable for personal consumption, which would be drinking water, water used for food and cooking, maybe you know personal hygiene, brushing your teeth, and so forth. That's where this water is mostly used for, and that's what the projects in Texas are designed for. You stated that over forty five percent
0: of the US water is estimated to be toxic. Where are you pulling the data from? And how can we validate um, that? I mean, that for me is a really startling statistic. I'm just curious where the information's coming from and what are the relevant toxicity markers that we should be concerned about um, and that, that that through AWG we can eliminate?
1: Uh, so that's a uh, that 45% statistic. Is a a public report is now a public report made by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency just last year in 2023. So I don't know if you can get more Uh credible than that.
0: Yeah, I would, I would say that's, well, some people might call EPA into question, but for the purposes of our audience
1: and my liking, the EPA is a credible resource. There's many different fuel toxins found in the water, you know, from plastics to pharmaceuticals. You know, to all kinds of different stuff. What's becoming most talked about, kind of most notorious, are the the PFAS that are referred to as forever chemicals. Uh, the reason they're called forever chemicals because these are Frankenstein elements that honestly nobody has figured out yet how to eliminate. There's tons of investment cur- currently going into industries to try to figure out how to eliminate. Uh, PFOS, things like Teflon, but not even you know the most sophisticated filtration systems can get can get them out. So they're coming out of your faucet. In the case of the Houston area, you can look this up. You'll find as many as forty nine different toxins in the water. Right. The toxicity in the water that ultimately comes out of your tap. There's a number of fail points. So the first is the original water source. The second is uh, the water as in process coming out of the water treatment plant. So a lot of these treatment plants are old and not effective. The third is the water going down the pipelines. Across America, most of our infrastructure is old and decrepit. There's a lot of lead pipes, a lot of rust that gets into the water. And fourth, before it comes out of your tap, it's going through your plumbing. And most people's homes or apartment buildings they're old and cruddy. So there's just so many places for it to fail before you start drinking it.
0: In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself. See how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey there, Solar Warrior. I have a quick question for you. Are you personally seeking to leave a legacy? I have been working over the last year with our friends from Bodie and Unirac, on sharing with you those of us who are on the front lines really digging and building businesses that are in fact leaving a legacy. What does that look like and how do we survive and thrive through this solar coaster that we're all on? I invite you to join us for our final of this four-part series on leaving a solar legacy. It's happening on February 1st at 12 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Eastern. Exclusive Solar Industry Insights that we call How to Embrace Innovation to Survive the Solar Coaster. We'll be joined by my friend Spencer Fields, the Director of Insights at EnergySage, as well as Peter Lawrence, CEO of Unirac, and Scott Nguyen, the CEO of Bodie. I invite you to come join us, discover how solar businesses tackled challenges and found innovative solutions in a very, very tough market. Overcoming high interest rates got you down, how to build a robust pipeline, identify valuable innovations and trends, and upskill your operations team for business resilience. We'll do Q&A and go deep on your specific questions. So don't miss out on these lessons learned and future forecasts for the solar industry. There are limited spots available. You can reserve yours at mysuncast.com forward slash solar legacy. Mark your calendar. Stay ahead in the solar business game. See you there, Solar Warrior. Alex. You're not a water specialist, or have were not when I first met you. To my knowledge, you don't have a, a doctorate or deep research background in water technology. So can you talk to me about the entrepreneurial journey or process of deciding? I'm going to now turn my attention towards water. I'm going to try to figure out how to fix it. I'm going to decide on AWG as a technology, which isn't even a category that I'm aware of um, at scale. And uh, I'm going to raise money around it. Can you talk about... Because that's an audacious sort of second half of your career to attack, right I'd like to hear more about that from the perspective of an entrepreneur that I see as a very successful you didn't you didn't need to go create sky h two o you successfully semi could have semi at least or fully retired from the legacy that you all created with SPP, having made a big impact early in the solar industry. Talk to me about that process of evaluating and then deciding on AWG and getting a business going where you're not a, a scientist specifically. How did you how did you mobilize that?
1: Yeah, so you, you know me. I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've committed myself to essentially the climate solution process. Sky is my third uh, startup business in uh, the climate tech space. You know me as a pioneer in, uh, solar energy with solar power partners. You know, after successfully selling that business to NRG, uh, I turned my sights towards, uh, basically doing more broad things in, uh, the climate tech renewable energy space. I co-founded or I founded a, a group called Clean Power Group and Clean Power Advisors. And for a number of years there, we helped, uh, many, many different, uh, startup businesses, um, in the climate tech space with strategic and, uh, financial advisory services. I've helped more than 20 different, uh, companies, uh, in the climate tech and renewals area get off the ground, uh, most often with fu- funding. Um, but while doing that, you know, over about a three, four year process, I kind of discovered that myself personally, I'm 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 more an entrepreneur. I'm a doer. I like to roll up my sleeves, take responsibility, and less of an advisor, you know, telling people, advising people how to do it. And in the 2015, 16 time frame, uh, the West uh, was in kind of an epic drought. Uh, at that time, Governor Brown created a water emergency task force. And at that time, uh, I had, uh, connected with some, uh, with a key member of, uh, the Irvine family, um, who's been uh, pioneers in water in the West since the West was one, essentially, um, who kept saying to me, Alex, you should turn your sights to water. There's so many things that need to be done. And then during this time, uh, was uh, introduced uh, to a group out of Switzerland, Germany who self purported to have industrial scale atmospheric water generation. I thought this was great. I, I, uh, I made a deal with them, uh, to build up that business in America. It turned out that they didn't have, uh, what they said they had. It was more kind of a vision. So it didn't work out with them, but, uh, thankfully, uh, I have a very close, uh, Good friend at UC Berkeley, Professor Tarek Zodi. He's the head of the engineering school, Chancellor Professor kept asking me how's my Sky Chill project coming along. I said, Well, I think these guys in Europe don't really have what we need. And he said, Well, why don't we just invent this ourselves? I said, Can I said, I don't want to invent things. He said, We'll put a team together, we'll get this done. I said, All right, I can throw some more money at it. And uh, Tarek and Reinhold Ziegler and Charlie and I and a few others, we pulled our heads together um, and we got to the blackboard and we invented from the ground up um, our own uh, AWG. And uh, one of the funny stories is we would meet kind of on a, every couple of weeks at Berkeley um, in a infamous conference room where back in the day Oppenheimer met for his Manhattan project and we would always say we're working on the California project, uh, so that was essentially you know, how we came up with our own technology. Now, let me say, AWG as a technology uh, is not necessarily new. The Germans actually even used AWG on their U-boats during the Second World War. That was one way the Wolfpack could stay, you know, for long times out in the Atlantic, creating havoc. Um, only in let's say the last 10 years or so, as water scarcity has become a much bigger issue has there been a, a newfound interest in AWG. And there's now, I would say round about 10, a dozen companies or so who are growing and taking on the AWG space, alongside sky h2o you know not so dissimilar than wind 30 years ago or solar 20 years ago some listeners may be familiar and i know certainly you know folks
0: like uh, josh porter have done episodes recently with companies like source can you talk about the varying scales and approaches to capturing water from the air just so that listeners are familiar with kind of the breadth of how the technology is being applied
1: so uh since most of how experience in solar, I kind of like to make those analogies. You know, just like in solar, you have uh, lots of different solar technologies that are really kind of designed optimally for different applications, different locations. That's kind of similar in AWG. Like I mentioned, there's currently about a dozen companies or so uh, involved in AWG uh, who've created technologies or products that are designed for kind of different types of locations and different applications, really different sizes. Most of them all are really focused on smaller units, kind of a product type solution. A lot of them they look like kind of kitchen appliances, you know, almost like a small refrigerator, you know, that might make yourself two, three, four gallons of water a day. You mentioned the company Source. That's right. a nice innovative business. They're out of Arizona. They've cleverly integrated Uh, a solar panel with kind of a black box AWG unit, as far as I can tell. I'm no insider, but from the outside, that's what I see. From what I can see, it's really designed for kind of smaller or off-grid applications, you know, where you might need to make, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe even 100 gallons of water a day. Sky H2O is really on the other end of the spectrum. We're making the largest systems Our technology has been designed from the ground up, really industrial grade for larger commercial, industrial and government applications. The most of the projects we're working on start at about 10,000 gallons a day. And, um, as we're, you know, designing and engineering projects, we're seeing that kind of our sweet spot is in about the 10,000 to maybe as much as uh, 100,000 gallons a day of fresh uh, water. That's like very, very different than obviously those who are making systems or products designed for, you know, five to 10 gallons. So it, it, I had a question here is, are you
0: a threat, uh, a potential acquisition, or a potential provider for the multi-trillion dollar beverage industry? Uh, all of that. We're yeah. a threat. What do you think do you feel like you're going to disrupt it and somebody is gonna say you know like all of the water companies that came out in the 90s uh, do we want to acquire you so that we can you know incorporate you into our product process or do you think that's a logical sort of outcome for Sky2o or, or is the
1: or is your vision and, and mission bigger than that? you know who knows how the capital markets develop They're very finicky uh, I don't understand them. What I do understand as a 30 plus year, experienced business executive is how to create value we're creating a lot a lot a lot of value at sky 20 ultimately how the shareholders exit out of that value uh whether it's a term sale whether it's uh you know a private equity deal whether it's an IPO whether it's you know whatever I, I don't know but what i do know is as we uh, continue to build this honestly very disruptive very valuable business with like unlimited growth potential, there's going to be, uh, there's a lot, a lot of groups who want to acquire us. And we've already had many, many offers. I can imagine that you have. How
0: quickly, because, you know, when we were, the first question that I can remember being asked when I started selling uh, solar to uh, not just homeowners, but commercial entities that I was partnering with you guys on was how quickly can this be installed? Right. It starts to disrupt industry because to pull an electrical line out to a farm cost more and took longer than to install a solar array can you give me a, a sense of scale and
1: and uh, ca- cadence for the deployment of these systems firstly you know within our whole kind of value chain from making the product to installing etc we really don't have any limitations Except for capital, you know, it's basically needs a lot of capital, but there's no rare earth materials, if you will. There's no elusive controlled components. You know, there's no limitation on sites. Um, you know, honestly, at the moment, nobody's taxing the air. No one's saying, Hey, you know, you need a whatever to be able to take some air, uh, out of the sky. So we, um, control everything from. Uh, production to our resource to our customers, uh, which provides for, you know, a phenomenal business model. As far as rolling out, I would say, uh, the limiting factor is kind of two things. One, it's, it's, it's financing, but we've got a great value proposition. So I see that. Look, in the early days of solar, when we started solar power partners to get any kind of investment, we had to promise, you know, equity investors 25 plus percent. You know, now solar projects, these guys are coming in at five, six, seven percent. That's the same thing's gonna happen here. AWG or the next two, four, six years is gonna be completely proven. And then it's gonna be a race to the bottom, a jump ball by the investors to come in, and the cost of capital is gonna be low. So really it comes down to in our case, land grabbing the best sites um where we can make these projects. Uh, and we, where we do these guide to station projects, uh, we site them, you know, almost like a, a Costco or a McDonald's would consider their sites. We look at demographics. We look at traffic flows. We look at, you know, economic prosperity. Obviously, we look at uh, the, you know, water stress in the area. We look at uh, humidity. And then we decide uh, on a site. We've actually already, to date, uh, identified more than 20 sites across Texas. We're going to be building projects, and we have a plan on building over 100 of these projects to the tune over more than $3 billion over the next five years. So I'm going to come back around to my original question, but it made me think that
0: a smart listener, perhaps just truly, can look at this and say, post-solar, post-storage, boom, someone who's really good at originating land users. And putting themselves in the middle of a deal can lock up sites and option them to companies like yours as an extension of their current development origination process. Am I wrong?
1: Uh, I mean, they could, but I have to admit, um, at Show, we've figured out in a very clever and very effective way how to get the sites and how to get the cities working on our behalf. The sites that we've so far secured, literally city planners or basically mayors, have said, hey, this is the right site for you. Why don't you do it here, and we'll get behind you, help you get it done. Makes sense. We saw that in the early days of solar as well, right?
0: And how quickly, uh, once the city of Houston says, let's do it, can you mobilize a system?
1: So, as you know, in the United States and in different uh, different states, different counties have different kind of permitting regimes. You know, one of the reasons we're moving kind of first on these projects in Texas As opposed to California where we're at home is, um, permitting and constructing projects in California, you know, literally takes almost twice as long as in, let's say Texas. We generally, and the projects in Texas, we generally estimate about a six month period for pre-construction you know, to get all the permits and authorizations so that we're shovel ready. And then we have approximately a 12 month, uh, construction period until we're COD and can start producing water. Of course, one of the key bottlenecks is, uh, interconnection to the grid because, um, we, uh, you know, we need one of these sky station sites basically needs about three megawatts at full load. So, um, you know they're not. That's not everywhere to be found and had. Uh, so, yeah, there's some overlap with solar. I love that. Um,
0: that's a that's a nice way to sort of wrap up uh, the conversation around the helping folks sort of put in get in their minds if if you are thinking about how could I originate this, how could I partner potentially with companies like Sky It Sky It is a very nice compliment to, in particular, a municipal. Uh, or any other large water consumption partner who has already gone solar, who is al- who is considering going solar to potentially marry this technology with it on site, um, possibly for a beverage company that you've <laughs> sold sure. solar array to. Yeah. How interesting. A lot of folks are going to say, uh, This will just complicate the deal. (laughs) Like, like trying to add uh, solar canopies because you can now see the solar. It'll just complicate the deal and make to make
1: it too expensive. Uh, do you have any, any thoughts for those folks? I mean, it's, it's water and energy goes hand in hand. Um, we at SkyH show invite, you know, all kinds of professionals, strategic partners, uh, investors to work with us to accelerate. Um, our business and our project development. I think you know me. I am a uh, climate uh, tech entrepreneur on a mission and uh, we're open and inviting. Uh, we aim to build this company in a very, very large, uh, fast growing, valuable business. And we need a lot of good people to help us make that happen. So, you know, anybody who likes to get involved with us, help you know grow a fantastic new business new industry that works in balance with nature please contact us please contact me directly i'm incredibly accessible i'm a ceo that's on the front lines very accessible yeah they're also um uh always out there uh
0: both connecting and promoting and uh and being a a thought leader around not just the water technology but helping um raise awareness for the the need and the water uh energy nexus we didn't talk a lot about water energy nexus i'll link to a bunch of resources that alex shared with me about this whole concept of water energy nexus because i think that's a good place for folks to start and understanding what we as climate activists essentially what we as um in some cases, economic opportunists. Like I don't, I don't pretend that everyone's a climate activist that gets into solar. But we all see the opportunity to do well while doing good financially. And uh, I think that the ability to provide clean drinking water, um, moving away from just the um, sort of the the domain of nonprofits into the domain of for profits, is one where. Uh, we it doesn't it doesn't need to be cloaked in some sort of um, sort of dirty capitalist um, conception. It rea- in reality it has been limited to the halls of academia because it's to your point earlier it's it's not seen the same despite the fact that we pump it from the ground and we distribute it uh, across a, a pseudo grid. Um, it's not seen as, seen as something that should be made profitable. Uh, it's seen as a, a universal good. Uh, I think that. One of the beautiful things about how we're evolving in companies like Sky 20 is that we're we're recognizing the limitations to these resources that we have uh, in the ground, and we got to find other ways. I had never heard of the concept of renewable water, frankly, until uh, this conversation. Alex, as we wrap up, I want to ask: as you uh, have developed over the last thirty years as an entrepreneur, is there are there any uh, particular lessons? Uh, sort of salient takeaways, either from mentors or from your own uh, experience that you'd like to pass along to others who are in the throes of startup or their entrepreneurial journey right now? How would you mentor them? I
1: think for one's career, uh, the most important thing is to work with purpose. Um, That drives passion, uh, which drives um, being uh, really effective. We need to do a lot of things to clean up the world and hopefully make things right. We have kind of the trifecta upon us of man-induced climate change, plus kind of relentless pollution, uh, plus uh, biodiversity loss. So there are so many things that we have to do to get things right. For the next generations, so you know, I would only say, uh, you know, find your find your lane, find your passion, and then just work wholeheartedly at it and try to make this world a better place. Uh, I love that you have built upon what was
0: absolutely a fun, a foundational um, and pioneering business and career uh, career career pivot towards climate action with Solar Power Partners by following that and innovating once again with SkyH2O. I'm sure there are others who are listening who had no idea there was a concept of renewable water or the ability to extract it from the air and serve it to our fellow humans. And they're going to want to reach out to you. What's the easiest way for them to connect?
1: Uh, so we got a great website with a simple URL, skyh2o.com, skyh2o.com. Um, you can connect with us there. There's plenty of places to you know send in your Information. I've to admit, I get them all. RFIs, RFPS. So um, our uh, uh, our team is depicted boldly there. Uh, everyone's email address, so you can connect with you know whoever you feels the right connection. Whether it's Lawrence Impella, our marketing manager, or Terrell Jones, or our head of business development. That's great. So you've got everyone's email on the Yeah, up. you'll find us on LinkedIn. So we we you know we try to be a very transparent, very open company. Um, We're very relationship-oriented. So, you know, if you want to contact us, please do. So, Alex, I normally will ask for uh, a bold
0: prediction, uh, especially coming into a new year. But I, I think I want to change it a little bit and modify and say, if you as an entrepreneur have something to offer, it might be a way of thinking about uh, a living, maybe a personal motto. Um, and so I wonder what call to arms uh, or personal motto you might uh, offer to
1: those of us who are alongside you, in uh, in the climate fight. I mean, my last thought uh, or comment, and this is kind of my motto, which is you know no excuses. Let's make it happen. A lot to do to get the world back in order on the climate front. Let's everyone do our part. Uh, I'm doing my part. Happy to collaborate with anybody and everybody. So again, no excuses. Let's make it happen. Well.
0: It has been such an interesting journey to unpack the story of my friend, Alexander. I realized that I didn't ask most of my normal, typical interview questions with Alex. And the reason is that there's just too much to unpack. And I wanted to focus on what is AWG and why does it matter? Why does the energy water nexus need to be studied further, especially by those of us in the energy sector? And there's still so much more learning that we can do. You heard Alex and I talk about some links that he was going to share. You can go over to mysuncast.com and click on the show notes tab, where I've linked all of that. It should be in the description, either on YouTube here or in the podcast player that you're listening to. Right in the description, you can click through to those notes, and you'll find all the the interesting research that I did on the water, the energy water nexus, the UC Irvine uh, group Wex that is leading that effort. As well as the videos that uh, like Farmers, of Fighter that Alexander was talking about. I know that you're curious and that's why you're here. So I just thank you. Thank you and honor you for your curiosity, your intellectual stimulation and for your infinite learning status. That makes two of us. Please leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you are on so that other infinite learners like you can find us and shoot me a note if you will. My preferred platform is LinkedIn. It should be relatively easy easy to find me there. You can either search Nico or Suncast or even Valence, our new newsletter that unpacks content that connects in the clean energy story. I want to thank you once again for listening and thanks our sponsors for helping make sure that this is free for you each and every week. Learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can learn how to reach thousands of clean energy and climate champions just like yourself each and every week like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solo Warrior. It's half the battle.